we began to really think after Sunday evening about freedom, and freedom something that's uh, precious to us as Americans, and, you know, I, I don't know uh, that we really, really wrap our mind around that subject matter of what freedom really is. And I've had the privilege of traveling abroad, and I've been in some third world countries, and I've been in some places where dictators rule, and you see a very different society and a very different kind of place. And you know, in America, uh, some of the poorest people in our country are very wealthy compared to some of the nations around the world. And I thought about how that freedom provides us with liberties that many in the world will never experience. They'll never know the freedom that we possess. I was amazed when I was in Colonial Beach and we'd started that work down there, ran into a lady, met her, we led her to the Lord and she got saved, got baptized and talked to her for a while and she was now into her mid-50s and had never went beyond Fredericksburg, which was the next town over from us. She had never been outside of Colonial Beach and Fredericksburg. Now, I don't know about you, but that baffles my mind. And, uh, and yet had never experienced uh, being able to go around and see other uh, even states or towns. And then I thought about how freedom is something that it has to be the centerpiece of a lot of things. And one of the things it's the centerpiece of is war, isn't it? And to have peace sometimes, it takes war. And for us to stay in a peaceful nation and to stay in peace, it took war, didn't it? And so there were times where we fought and battles were fought and our country has been in those battles. And of course, the battle that we're fighting right now is the battle on terrorism. And of course, there's a lot of uh, uh, leaps and bounds that we've come in the last few months. And then I got to thinking about how we celebrate freedom and how we cherish our freedom. And I was listening to Fox News and they were just going around interviewing people, talking to them about the very fact of what it means, the 4th of July means, what is it all about? I heard everything from Christopher Columbus coming over to I'm not a historian to they have no idea to uh, it's just odd that, that you wouldn't know that. Now, when I was growing up, it was embedded in our brain from the time I was in first grade, even kindergarten, uh, learning about our nation in 1776 and the importance of it. And I remember having the opportunity to go to Philadelphia and I uh, went up there and saw where they put this document together. And I remember being in Washington, D.C., and I was able to, I had the privilege of doing a, uh, a video, and uh, I did it for Reader's Digest. They gave us a grant, and we were able to travel across the country. And uh, I was shooting video, and we were in the archives. And we were actually in there, and they did not allow you to do this anymore, but they gave us the privilege of filming uh, inside where the archives are listed. And I remember reading our Constitution, really reading it for the first time. And uh, it's amazing what those men uh, were given uh, from God to help guide this nation. And I began to think about how we celebrate this. And really, uh, tomorrow is not going to be about Budweiser and Miller Genuine Draft and all that kind of stuff, although there will be a lot of people that indulge themselves in those things. What tomorrow is really about is uh, being uh, let go from tyranny. And I began to think about that in terms of not only that, but you know, the privilege and the honor that we have and the things that we're able to participate in daily and with freedom to travel from state to state and uh, to leave our country and to come back freely. And I don't think we recognize all the things that are, we're privileged by, by the freedoms that we were given. And freedom allows you the opportunity to live our lives apart from many restrictions. <laughs> you think about the restrictions that people live under and uh, you think, well, we, we, we think that the rest of the world is just like us and it's not, not even close. <laughs> 
And, and it's nowhere near some of the uh, things that we have. And I, I keep thinking to myself, if our nation's so bad, why is everybody trying to cross the border to get here? <laughs> and uh, the fact is, is they know this is a very different kind of nation. And, and the restrictions, yet there are still laws in place and laws that we must abide by. And when you break those laws, there's a penalty to be paid. And sometimes you break those laws and you get away with it because majority of us in here go way beyond the speed limit that's listed on a sign. And when you do that, that's called breaking the law. But yet there's laws in place to keep us a law-abiding citizens. And so they're there. My dad used to say when I was growing up, locks only keep honest people honest, right? And so, you know, you, you realize that there's a lot of uh, criminal activity that goes on in the world. And then Paul, here, he started to expound on the life that's available to us as believers because Christ gives us freedom. And there was a battle fought that day. And the battle that was fought that day was the sin battle. And the day that he overcame sin, he gave freedom to all men, women, children, that are willing to come unto him and believe and trust in him with all their heart that he did what he said he was going to do and that he was going to rise again. And he did. And that he sits on the right hand of the Father. And he does. And he's there to intercede on our behalf and thank God for that. And he gave us freedom. Freedom from sin. And I thought about, do I really see the joy and the freedom that I have that the salvation brings me? And there's some things written in these passages that are just astounding to me that if we just read them, we'll just gloss over them. And I've read that before, and I know that. But to think that Christ laid down his life for that, that we might have the joy of being freed from sin. And so when I thought about the joys of freedom that are given to us through our salvation, one of the things that it teaches us is that we're dead to sin. We're dead to sin. The Bible teaches us, for he uh, that is dead is freed from sin. We're dead to sin. It no longer exists uh, in a way that has power over us. We're freed from it. We're dead to it. And listen to this. You no longer have to serve it. It's a choice. You choose to serve sin. And so we've been given some great joy in knowing these things. So the joy of knowing that we're dead uh, to sin. So when you look at verses 1 through 5, he says this in this very passage. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, you know what he was battling was this. <laughs> he was battling people said, hey, we're sin, uh, we're sin free now. Uh, we've been set free so we can just go do whatever we want. And, and so no, we're no longer on our way to hell, we're on our way to heaven. So what difference does it make whether we sin or not? And the Bible teaches us, he said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now the next phrase, and I've shared this with you many times from the pulpit, he said, God forbid. That word God forbid means perish the thought. It has the idea of mortify. It's where we get our word mortician from. And the idea is put that thought to death. Don't think that way. And he comes on and he says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So he's posing questions to us and he said, if you're dead to sin, why would you want to live in it any longer? Why would you want to go back to something like that? And it says, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. And his death is what set us free. And, and he's not talking about the fact that you got baptized into the water. He's talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit came upon us the day we got saved. 
And so as you look into the scriptures here, therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So the first thing we've got to understand is that sin is a terrible thing. Sin is any violation against God. Now, we may have our rules about what we think sin is, but I want to tell you something. Sin is anything that goes against the Word of God. That's what sin is. Anything that goes against the Word of God is sin. Anything that goes against the Word of God, His standard, is sin. I'm going against what He says, what He thinks. So basically, sin is lawlessness. It's the idea that I see the 55 mile per hour sign, but I think it says 65. And I'm going to do what I want rather than what it says. And usually sometimes when that happens, eventually some lights get turned on behind us, don't they? And when those lights get turned on, we're thinking, oh, what is this all about? It's called lawlessness. It's called the fact that I chose not to obey what I was supposed to do. And the Bible teaches us that we're to obey God. We're to obey him in his word. And so when you think about this, this is anything against God. So the idea is that we're dead to sin and in, Christian, in our Christian lives, we must always have Christian learning taking place. And I believe that the Bible is not just a book to be read. I don't believe it's just a book to know verses. I believe it's to be applied to our lives. The Bible is not just any book. It is the word of God. And therefore, God gave us instructions, and God gave us ways to live. God gave us what we're supposed to do, and he gave us those things that we are not supposed to do. And when you go and you read the scriptures, it's amazing to me how God puts things in perfect order often inside the scriptures that tells us, look, there's some things you ought not be doing, but there's some things you ought to be doing. I'll give you a perfect example of that, and that's in James. And he tells us, he says, uh, that we are to be uh, people who are swift to hear and slow to speak. Now, what is the reason for that? Because when we listen more than we talk, we won't become angry. And that's what the scriptures teach. But for all of us sitting in here tonight, how many times have you spoken before you listened? How many of you have allowed those emotions, those feelings to rise to the top before you actually listen to the other party? That's what's happening in our nation today. We've got so much uh, heated uh, rhetoric between politicians that it's creating violence amongst people. And, and they're not realizing the rhetoric that they're putting out there, but it's causing some things to start happening in people. And when you think about this, we need to learn Christ. And so Philippians 3, 10, 11, he says, that I may know him, that I may know him. That word know is such a beautiful word because it means that I may have the right kind of relationship with him. That I may know him. To know him is not just head knowledge. To know him is to have a relationship with him. And it says that I may know him. Now listen to this. And the power of his resurrection. That I may know him. That I might have a, re a relationship with him and understand the power of the resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul was trying to, to get to the root of all the vain philosophies that had developed over the years. And I go in churches all across America at times, and, and there are times when we go on vacation. How many of you have gone on vacation and went into a church thinking it was an independent fundamental Baptist church, and you realize, uh-oh, uh-oh. I remember coming in one time and we were sitting in the back row and, and uh, you know, you're just visiting, so you're trying not to stand out too much. And, and so we were sitting in the back and when we came in, 
fella came up to me, and he had like a shirt on and a, a blazer on, and he had the collar out, and he had it open, and he had his chest hair sticking out, and he had a chain on, gold chains and everything, and he introduced himself. He was the pastor of the church. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure you want to see Pastor Warren come in here with his hair chest sticking out, right? You say, uh-huh, you don't even have any. And, uh, but the thing of it is that who wants to see that? You know, now I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying you go to these places and you see this. And so uh, we uh, are automatically uh, put off by things. And yet the real purpose for being in church is not to be put off by people or put off by what they're doing. It's come and learn the word of God. Amen. 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 We're there to learn God's word. And so we get our mind on so many wrong things. So Paul is telling them, hey, listen, you guys have developed a lot of these vain philosophies, these empty ideas, and they're useless. So when you're trying to help someone else understand their relationship that they have or could have with Christ, we sometimes have to weed through some religion and we have to weed through vain philosophies. How many of you have tried to witness to someone? Uh, I had some folks that came to my house one night. They were Mormons. And um, I, my pastor used to tell me, he said, it's tough to get into it with a Mormon. And he said, you know, just trying to witness to him, not get into it with him in that manner, but to witness to them. So one night they came, they knocked on the door, and we stood there for a while. And there's one who's the elder and the other one that's the follower. And I began to share the gospel with them. And I took them back to Genesis, and I explained to them how God created the heavens and the earth. And that God was one to put his word on this earth. And there isn't another book. There is only but one book. <laughs> And I could tell the one that was the lead, he was standing there, the one that was not. And I said, and so what God's word teaches us is there's but one Savior. There's one Jesus Christ, one God the Father, one God the Son, one God the Holy Spirit. Those three are one. And I said to him, I said, now what God teaches us is, is that if we'll believe that Jesus Christ died for us, there isn't anything else that we have to believe in. There's not another book. There is the book. And as I got there, I could see this fellow starting to listen and I began to share the gospel and I could see the attention being drawn to the truth and all of a sudden this fellow got angry because I was poking holes in vain philosophy not in anger just in truth just by telling the truth and you can poke holes in false teachings just by telling truth so Paul is saying hey listen sometimes we have to weed through that our new marriage or union to Christ is what brings forth the death to sin so Paul is not saying that there is an immersion into water that put them in uh, Christ that was the Holy Spirit when we got saved but it's a picture of the death burial and resurrection and the new life here being illustrated and I began to think about something I was looking up some information I came across something from a gentleman named Warren Wearsby he said if a drunk dies he can no longer be tempted by alcohol because his body is dead to all physical senses. He cannot see the alcohol, smell it, taste it, or desire it. Now think about this for just a moment. In Jesus Christ, we've died to sin. So that we no longer want to continue in sin. So we should not want to see it. We should not want to taste it, smell it, or even desire it. Because if it dead to sin, then no longer do I want to participate in it in any way. And what he was likening it to is this alcoholic who had died. He's no more tempted by it. And so the fact is, is that there are temptations around us, but we don't have to give in to those temptations. And so they're there, they're present. So the challenge to us is we should not want to see it, smell it, taste it, or even desire it because we're dead to sin. And I believe part of the joy of our salvation is just that, to know that we're dead to sin. 
We don't have to deal with that. We're dead to it. The second thought is this. We're freed from sin. He says in verses 6 and 7, he said, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Our old man is crucified with him. So when you think about the crucifixion, Jesus Christ died on the what? He died on the cross, didn't he? So, and our old man, our old nature, is crucified with him. So that means the old man's been put to death. And so consider this tonight. We should uh, come to the place where we realize that that's been put to death. And so he goes on and he says that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. And so not only are we dead to sin, we're freed from it. Uh, let me ask you a question tonight. I know it's Tuesday night. I know we're tired. And I know tomorrow's the 4th of July. But I want to ask you something. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. I just want you to think about this. How many of you have dealt with some sin in your life and you've come up here and maybe knelt down at the altar after a message, someone has preached and it's impacted your heart and you've come up here and you've knelt down and you've prayed and you've asked God to help you with that sin, to help you not dabble in that sin anymore. And then you get up and you go back to your seat. And then sure enough, within a day or two, it's back in your life. You're at it again. You've dabbled in it again. And I, I really began to think how we're freed from sin. So how many times have you had to repeatedly come and ask God for forgiveness for the same sin? This word freed has the idea of justified. Sin has no legal right to be our master anymore. <laughs> Now think about that for just a moment. Sin has no right to be our legal master anymore. How many of us would say tonight that, well, I prayed about it and I left and I went and did it. You know what that is at that point? Choice. Because if you're freed from it, it's no longer your master. And therefore, anything that I do that is lawless in relationship to the word of God comes down to a simple choice. Eve made a choice that day in the Garden of Eden. So, the new believer is now crucified with Christ. And so, we think about this, Galatians 2.20. How many of you know that one off the top of your head? And you say to yourself, oh, I know that verse. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I know that verse. I want you to go back and look at it with a renewed spirit again. I want you to actually open your Bible, not just from memory, but sit down and read it again. I am crucified with Christ. That means that my sin nature has been put to death. <laughs> I am crucified. He said, nevertheless, I live. I'm still alive. I'm still physically here. But he says this, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, God told us when we got saved... We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are God's. Our body is now the temple, the Holy Spirit of God. So I challenge you to think about this when we sin, that we're actually taking Christ with us to go do these things in essence because the Holy Spirit resides in me. So we have the power that we need. In Ephesians 4, through 24, he says that you put off the former conversation, the old life. The former conversation, the old life. He said you need to put that thing off. And he tells us in the middle of those verses, he said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There is a change in thinking. And then you put on the new man. So there has to be a change in thinking. 
Turn with me, if you will, real quick to Colossians chapter 3. I want you to read a few verses with me. I want you to see Paul also writing here to the church of Colossae. Look at verse 5, and we'll read on through verse 10. And he's telling us about our freedom from sin. And he, he begins in verse 5, he said, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him. As you've received him, walk ye in him. Rooted and built up in him. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm in, I'm in chapter 2. I meant to go to chapter 3, didn't I? I'm sorry, I'm going to give you everything I got. I'm, I'm ahead of myself. But let me finish this now. He says in verse 7, he said, Rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, I'm a little ahead of myself, but what I want you to see is he told us in this particular passage that we have an ability by our faith in Christ to be steadfast. And he's telling us that we have something and we have Christ in us. And so walk in Christ. Now jump over to chapter 3 and let's start in verse 5. He said, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And he gives a whole host of things here. And he, he talks about uh, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, and so forth. He goes down to verse 6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which uh, ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, and he listed a, a, a number of things here again. And he tells us to put these things off. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now you jump back over and he says in verse 6 in chapter 2, he says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, what does he tell us to do? So walk ye in him. Walk in him. We've been freed from these things. So when you think of the word freed, we're no longer constrained by the sin. Uh, and, and by the way, People who are unsaved, they don't have a choice. <laughs> people who are unsaved, you say, well, I know some unsaved people that are good people. They're still living in sin. They're living apart from Christ. They can do nothing to please God until salvation come upon their life. And so the fact is, is that he teaches us this. So we have been freed by Christ. And it tells us in verse 6 that the body of sin might be destroyed. Now, when you look at that verse back here in uh, Romans, that word destroyed is important. It does not mean annihilated, but the sin has now become ineffective. It's impotent, and, and we have a new life in Christ, so it doesn't have the same effect on us that it had before. Now, I got saved on October 12, 1995, and I want to tell you, after I got saved, something happened to me in that room that night. I remember Pastor Nichols sharing the gospel with me. I remember getting saved, and then I got that next Sunday, I got baptized, and I remember something really happening to me. Now, when I was 12 years old, I had gone forward in a service, and I, and I had someone pray with me, and I kind of went through it, and then I went in the back, and they baptized me right away and sent me out and told me I was saved. And I had no idea what happened to me. I just knew I heard a man preaching, and I thought whatever he had, I wanted, because he was running back and forth across the stage like a wild man. And he kept saying, my cup runneth over with joy. Gary Herring, Pastor Gary Herring, graduate of Howes uh, of, uh, Anderson, and, and he was just preaching the fire that day. And I thought, man, whatever that guy's got, I want. So I went forward in a service and I went up and I knelt down. I was 12 years old. Guy come up. I can still see the bulk, or the uh, cap that he used to wear. He, he was sitting in the service. He, he was my bus captain. He'd take that thing off. He'd always lay it down in the back of the church. He came up and he still had hat head because he wore the hat all the time. Anybody know what hat head is? 
Yeah, hat hair, hat head. I call it hat head because, I mean, it looked just like his cap. So he come up, I see him. He comes over, he kneels down beside me. He opens up the Bible. He shows me some verses. And he says, do you want to pray and trust uh, Christ? And, you know, and I said, sure. And so he said, say this. I said, it's okay, I'll say that. So I said it. And then he said, okay, we're going to baptize you now. So he took me right in the back and baptized me that day. When I left out of there, I went home and told my mom and dad. I said, hey, they let me get in that pool over there at the church today. What pool? They got a big pool behind the pulpit there. There's a big pool back there. They let me get in that pool. What would you get in there for? I don't know. They told me that if I would just pray this prayer, they would take me back there and let me do this. So I just prayed with them, and I did it. Nothing happened. I want to tell you something. When I was 30 years old, on October 12, 1995, something happened to me. Something real happened in my life. I really understood what it meant to be freed from sin that night. And that night, I remember praying and asking Jesus Christ to save me. And the thing of it is, is I wanted to get saved from hell. I thought hell was going to be hot, and I didn't want to go there. And I, I, I was just, I, I felt like I was so close to hell at that moment that I was just going to burn up right there in that room. And I remember praying that night, but I remember praying to Jesus Christ. I remember praying and asking Christ to save me from an eternal hell. I remember praying that I did not want to walk in sin any longer. I remember it very well. And you say, well, you remember what happened to you at 12. Yeah, but there was something different happened. They told me to pray a prayer, and God got a hold of my heart. It's a big difference. And I'm challenging you with this. The word destroyed does not mean annihilated, but that sin has now become ineffective or impotent because of a new life you have in Christ. When I walked out of there, I thought to myself, I don't want to sin anymore. In fact, shortly after I got sinned, I used to run with friends to bars all the time before I got saved. After I got saved, I had a friend invite me out, and I said, no, I don't want to go. And then finally he said, come on, you don't have to drink, just go. And I remember going into the bar with him. And he said, do you want a beer? I said, no, I don't want a beer. Now, when somebody was paying for my beer when I was unsaved, sure. It was free. And I said, no, I, I don't want any. He goes, well, they have something called near beer. And I'm sitting there in the atmosphere and the music and the, and the smoking and the and the language and all the stuff that's going on around me and the lights. And, and, and he says, well, I'll just get you a near beer. And he set it down. And I didn't even know what a near beer was. And I remember sitting that down in front of me. And it was like all of a sudden as if God the Holy Spirit came down and said, get out of here. Man, I got up. I looked at Brian. I said, man, I got to get out of here. We said, I drove. I said, I don't care. I'll hitchhike home. I got to get out of here. I knew something happened. There was no way that kind of conviction comes over a man who doesn't know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Now, I'm just giving you my testimony. And the fact is, is that I knew that I had been freed from something, and I didn't want to go back to it. And God had given me a gift that was so precious, I did not want to let go of it. The old man is the man before salvation, before being freed from sin. And by the way, Peter clearly says, why, after you've been saved from the pollutions of the world, why in the world would you want to go back to those things? Why would any saved individual want to go back into the world? Like a dog returning to his own vomit. And I want to tell you that is exactly what I felt in that bar room that night. Now, I didn't take a drink. 
I couldn't take it anymore, and I had to get out of there. But I know that that came from God. I'm telling you, we don't want to smell it anymore. We shouldn't have a desire for it anymore. We shouldn't want to taste it anymore. We shouldn't want to watch it anymore. We should want to run from it. We should not desire anything like that. Sin is destroyed, rendered inoperative. You're freed and no longer in bondage that you must serve sin. You're free to serve Christ, your Savior, because salvation brings freedom from sin. My friend Brian that was there with me that night, he took me home. I, we, we worked together and everything. And he told me I'm getting weird on him. <laughs> I'm getting weird on him. He said, why don't you just come over and we'll sit down and we'll talk. And he said, because you're becoming a fanatic. And the thing of it is, is that I'd rather be a fan of Christ than I would to be a fan of the world. <laughs> and that night, I had an opportunity to share the gospel with my friend Brian. He said, you're crazy. You've lost your mind. I want to tell you something. Sometimes God has to separate us from some things, doesn't he? He has to put some things out of our lives. He has to take it away. So we understand that freedom from sin. No longer do we have to serve it. In verses 8 through 10, in chapter uh, 6 there, he said, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. If we're no longer serving sin, then verse 8 through 10 makes perfect sense to us. We're living for Christ. We're alive unto Christ. Death and, and sin have no more dominion over us. They have no dominion over Christ. Therefore, they have no dominion over us. They have, they're not our master anymore. It's not the, we're not a slave to it. And this is an important matter because if he died twice, he would have went to hell, but he didn't. He died once. <laughs> he died once. And so when you look at the scriptures, he is now sitting on the right hand of the Father. And because of what Christ did in our new life in him, we now serve him. In this same chapter, look at verse 15 with me of chapter 6. Now, remember how he started all the, this chapter off. He said, what shall we say then? Well, look at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? There's that phrase again. God forbid that we would do that. Put that thought to death. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. And he goes on and tells us in verse 17, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. That's who we are today. If you're saved, you're to be a servant of righteousness. Verse 1 illustrates a very important aspect to the Christian life or the walk with Christ and, and, and our a newfound relationship with God is so important. And so we should see that we're dead to sin. We're freed from sin. We no longer have to serve sin. And I can't challenge you more than this, and that is when we do serve sin, it is a choice. It is a choice. Grace uh, will not abound, which Paul was pointing out the absurd, to demonstrate that we need to realize we no longer have to serve sin, but are dead to it. Grace will abound to those that serve Christ. And so it can abound to those that are sinning, but it can abound to those that are serving. <laughs> and we have to be conscientious of this. So when you consider the unsaved, and I think about this all the time, their relationship 
their relationship with Christ Jesus. There is none. They don't know him. They may know about him. They may know things about him. They may be even able to tell you John 3.16, which half the world can probably tell you that. But they don't know it. When we talk about knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, that I may know him, it's about really having a relationship with him. It's about really understanding the power of the resurrection, what it really took away from us and what it provides to us. If you are saved, think about your relationship with Christ. What does it bring to the life that you now live? You see, we're, we live like we're going to be here forever rather than we're going to be there forever. We think this is permanent and that's temporary. When the reality is, is this is temporal and that is eternity. And we ought to think in terms of those things which I say, those things which I do, those things in which I behave, whether I eat or I drink or whatsoever I do, do all to the glory of God. How many Christians tomorrow are going to be around their families and maybe even partake in alcohol tomorrow because their family's around? And the thing of it is, is alcohol is not going to make you unsaved, but it sure is going to hurt your fellowship with Christ. <laughs> Because it's harmful to the body. And your body is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your spirit which are God's. They belong to him. So if you are saved, think about your relationship with Christ. What does it bring to this life and life eternal? Either way, they point to Christ and his work on the cross. The unsaved need to turn to the cross. Amen. They need to turn to that for salvation. The saved need to turn to that to avoid temptations in their life. We need to turn to the cross. That relationship, the power of the resurrection is there for us. Now, I want to challenge you with this thought. There is joy in salvation. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be saved. I'm excited to be saved. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I have in my life what is called conviction. How many of you like conviction? It's a wonderful thing. Do you know why? That is God letting you and me know you're not right. That's not right. And by the way, conviction is not guilt. Conviction is I understand that I have gone against the truth of the word of God. Guilt is I feel bad about that. I shouldn't have done it. Conviction is I know God's word says, and I did this, and I should not have done that. Conviction is knowing I should have done that and I did not. That is conviction. Big difference, isn't it? Guilt is, man, I feel bad about that. I shouldn't have done that. And God, thank God for the Holy Spirit, amen. We're to grieve not the Spirit of God. But he brings forth conviction to the saved. You know, when conviction comes, don't turn your nose at it. That lets you know you're saved. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't have any conviction. There would be none. You would just be just like the unsaved. I feel really bad about that. I shouldn't have done that. Feeling bad is not conviction. Conviction is knowing the truth of the word of God and the lawlessness that we engage in that goes against that truth. And therefore, we have to make a change. Freedom. Freedom. The joy and salvation because you've been freed from sin. So... I asked tonight, are you experiencing the joy of your salvation? Well, you know what it is? I don't have to serve sin. I've been freed from it. And my body 
is dead to it. I don't have to serve. My soul no longer has to serve sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Ask now that you would just bless the heart.